0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know if it was the uh, very first sermon I ever wrote on the parable of the Good Samaritan, but it was certainly one of the first, uh, which I distinctly remember, because it was a beastly, hot, humid, sweltering, oppressive summer day. Uh, here in Maryland, when this passage usually comes up in the rotation of uh, scriptures. And I was sitting in my office at our Savior Lutheran Church in Laurel, trying to get myself wrapped around this story of this man who was beaten up on a road and left uh, half dead, and uh, how two people, including a priest, come along and pass him by without rendering assistance. When, I kid you not, that afternoon, A woman comes to the church office and reports that she just had a flat tire right in front of the church and limped into the church parking lot. And is there someone who could give her some assistance (laughs) and change her tire? Uh, Well, it was just me and the church secretary, and I was pretty sure she wasn't going to do it. Uh, And so there I was, and I was thinking to myself, you know, there is no way I'm going out there. I mean, you know, it is just a terribly hot, sweltering day. I'm in a suit. and Besides that, I have this sermon to write on the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, then I figured it. God was messing with me. You know, to see how I would do, not only with the parable, but with this real-life, broken-down person who was right in front of me. And so uh, I obviously did the right thing. I asked her if she was a member of AAA. And when she wasn't, (laughs) went out there and I changed the tire because what else are you gonna do and how else was I gonna get uh, back to work? But the upshot of it was that I got me a sermon for that Sunday about how I could be a priest and a good Samaritan at the same time and that they should go and do likewise. I, I don't think they bought it, but it is a true story And it's one that I put in the category of, you know, a God thing. All of which is to say, uh, this time around, uh, many years later, uh, that while the Powerball of the Good Samaritan is obviously a call for us to stop what we're doing, to show compassion and mercy, and to give assistance uh, to those who are wounded, to the helpless, to the broken, to the marginalized, in our world, and all that's true, and I've preached about it many times in connection with this parable, Uh, the fact is that there is also another very different lesson in this story for all of us. Because this parable of Jesus is actually a story about how our religion gets in the way of our relationships of doing the very things that God actually wants us to do. And that may sound a little strange to you coming from a, a so-called a religious professional, uh, but I say it because this story is Jesus' response to a, a question that was asked of him by a lawyer who, according to St. Luke, wanted to test Jesus. He wanted to trap Jesus. Uh, this lawyer was undoubtedly an expert in the religious laws of Israel, of which there were literally several hundred of them as set forth by uh, the rabbis who interpreted the laws of Old Testament uh, Scripture, and then also added to them, and then added again and again to them, and they had to do with things like how to worship, and how to celebrate uh, holidays, and how to keep the Sabbath, and and uh, and there, were, there was the preparation of food and dietary restrictions and the use of kitchen utensils and there was personal hygiene and sexual behavior and there was you know, how to plant and how to harvest and how to buy and sell property and how to give the offerings and how to use your money and just dozens of other things all of which indicate that they were extremely religious. If religion is defined as the things that you do outwardly the acts that you commit, the disciplines and the practices that you keep in order to express your faith. And so this lawyer in the Gospel of Luke was undoubtedly a member of the Pharisees uh, who were all about keeping those laws, religiously, if you'll pardon the expression. And also ensuring that others kept them, even to the point of, you know, showing off and, and saying, in effect, well, hey, look how I worship, look how I give, look how I pray, look how I fast, and, you know, thank God, I'm not like these people who aren't religious. Or they get it wrong, or they, or they sin. And so this lawyer who obviously takes exception to the very different message of Jesus, the very different ministry of Jesus, Interrogates him, asks him questions, beginning with the question, so then according to you, what must I do to inherit eternal life? See, he's trying to bait Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus to say, well, you don't have to be religious anymore. You don't have to obey uh, the laws. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, He answers the question with a question he hits the ball right back to him he interrogates the interrogator and he says well uh, what do you see in the law what do you read there and and he answers by quoting the shema from uh exodus or leviticus and deuteronomy you shall love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and jesus says oh you're quite right about that do that you'll live but the lawyer is not satisfied He didn't get the answer that he wanted, and so he asks uh, another follow-up question, which is even trickier, and the question is, then who is my neighbor, which doesn't sound tricky to you and me at all. It sounds like a Sunday school question, the answer to which is everybody's my neighbor, but it was tricky then because it came from the belief that loving your neighbor meant loving your fellow Israelite neighbor. And that did not cover people like Gentiles, who were outside of the faith. It didn't cover people who sinned, who violated the law, who were religiously defiled and unclean and inferior. And it didn't cover people like Samaritans, who were from another land. They were from a mixed race an impure religion, and were universally looked down upon by most of the population. And so this lawyer, he's trying to get Jesus in a trap by answering these questions. Jesus is not having it. And so instead of arguing with this guy or giving him the answer that he's looking for in true rabbinic fashion, he makes up a story, a sermon illustration, if you will, about a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, uh, which in real life is actually literally true because uh, Jerusalem is actually 2,500 feet above sea level and Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. And so when you're going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, you really are going down. But it's also spiritually true because Jerusalem is the holy city. It's where the temple is. It's where God meets people. It's even an image of heaven itself which calls uh which the bible calls the new jerusalem while jericho is a place of brokenness and conflict and sin and so the road uh, from jerusalem to jericho today is actually a four-lane uh highway been on it but back then it was this treacherous dangerous desert uh pass where real life people were known to get mugged all the time. And so when Jesus says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, that would have got their attention. It established the tension in the story so that they would have been thinking, oh, this can't be good. Because even today, it's really not a place where you want to break down. And it also reminds us metaphorically that the further away from God you get, the worse life always becomes. And then, as you heard, as the story goes on, when this man uh, is brought down on that dangerous road uh, by those robbers, two people come along by chance, and yet they pass him by on the other side, namely a priest and a Levite, both of whom are religious professionals. The priest being a temple priest, the Levite being kind of a lay uh, religious temple worker or professional, if you were, and who Jesus puts into this story very deliberately, I am quite sure, because from the perspective of this real-life lawyer who's was interrogating him, who's was asking the question, the priest and the Levite, in passing this man by, are doing exactly what they were supposed to do. Why? Because according to their religion, under their law, if they touched this wounded man, if they came into contact with his blood, then they were religiously defiled and unclean and would have been suspended from their duties at the temple. And so their religion got in the way of a healing relationship. Their law got in the way of their service and what God really wanted them to do. And yet, in passing them by, they did exactly what the lawyer thought they should do. Meanwhile, the priest and the Levite are clean and the wounded man continues uh, to suffer. Meanwhile, the story goes on. As Jesus then adds insult to injury, When the hero of the story of all people is a total outsider. He is a Samaritan of a mixed race, of an impure religion. He is the one who stops on the side of the road. He is the one who establishes a relationship with this broken and wounded man. He's the one who binds up his wounds. He's the one who takes him to the inn and pays for the restoration of his whole life. He is the one who does this because he's not worried about being defiled. He's not bound by the law. And so he is the one who does the will of God. And with that, Jesus delivers his final homiletical punch when he says to this real-life lawyer, who do you think of these three was the neighbor to the man who fell around among robbers, uh, leaving him with the only plausible answer to say, well, the one who showed mercy. To which Jesus says, case closed. Go and do likewise. But you see what he does here. Jesus convinces a religious legal expert that two religious professionals violate the will of God by being overly overly religious. And that this outsider, this person who was the uh, one who was rejected along with his people, this one uh, comes along and he executes and carries out the will of God better than a priest, better than a Levite, better than a real life Pharisee. I mean, is that cool or what? Friends, uh, don't get me wrong here. You know, I'm not against being religious. You know, actually, I'm quite in favor of being religious. You know, which you may have guessed. Uh, Not because I am a so-called religious professional, but because you can't read the New Testament without concluding that God wants our outward acts as expressions of our faith. He wants us here today. He wants us to gather together. He wants us to worship together, to pray together, to praise, to commune together, to serve together, to study together, to do all kinds of good works out in this world. In fact, the word religion actually comes from the Latin word religio, which is where we also get the word ligament, because our religion binds us together. It holds us together. It helps us to be the body of Christ on the go for this broken world. It's just that we have to remember a a few very important, critical, vital things. The first of which is that your religion is never gonna save you. Because St. Paul said it very clearly in Romans chapter three, no one will be declared righteous before God. observing the law no one your religion your outward acts your customs your traditions are not going to save you because only your savior is going to save you number two the purpose of our religion is not to draw attention to ourselves it's to bring attention to him and the scriptures especially the New Testament, especially Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, warns us against making a show of our religion in ways that are inauthentic, insincere, self-serving, holier-than-thou, over-focused on the act itself, or what we do, or how we worship, or reduces Christianity to a, a set of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts when good religion beautiful religion begins with a relationship it begins at the cross where the god of grace comes to meet us and to move us to respond to love the one who first loved us with outward acts of mercy and love so that other people in this world will see its beauty its power It's transforming spirit, and they will turn to Jesus, and they will live this new life, frankly, an obedient life, not because they have to, but because they want to, because grace changes people, and that's the kind of church that I believe Jesus is calling us to be. I really recently found a meme on social media Religion says, I screwed up, and my dad is going to kill me. Christianity says, I screwed up, and I need my dad. In Lutheran theology, we would call that law and gospel. But the question is this. What kind of church is Jesus calling us to be? The follow-up question is this. What kind of message is he calling us to send to our neighbors? Not so we can just get it over with and get back to work, but because that is our work. And because at the end of the day, the good Samaritan in the story is Jesus Christ, the outcast, the one who was rejected, the one who comes to meet me on the side of the road wherever I'm broken, wherever I'm wounded, to pick me up, to give me comfort and peace and hope, and to take me into his home where he will restore my life. And so, like the man in the story, takes his wounded fellow traveler to the inn and pays for his restoration, Jesus meets you wherever you are, on whatever road you are brought down, and he brings you here today. This is the end right here where we get to hear it over and over again that he pays, he pays, so that all things could be new today for you and me, so that your relationship with God could be forever secure, so that you and I can respond religiously in ways that are beautiful, and powerful, and gracious, and loving, and transforming for the hope of the world. And so uh, today, I would just encourage you, enjoy your relationship with God, and use your religion graciously, and willingly, and carefully for the hope of the world, because when we do that, It can be a very beautiful, powerful thing. When we start with a relationship, when we begin at the cross and go from there, when we put the main thing, the main thing, then you too can discover that you can also be religious and be a good Samaritan at the very same time for his glory and for the healing of the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.